after me. Say, this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's word. It's his truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Dennis, would you pray over the service today? Appreciate it. You know, uh, we've been covering, and this is the last week of a series called Made for More, and we're really talking about why God created us. And there's some truths that I want you to know that we've covered the last couple weeks. One of them is God made you on purpose. There are no mistakes. Every Every person in this room was created uniquely. The Bible tells us that we are God's workmanship. He is a master craftsman, and he created you on purpose just like you are. That's an amazing truth. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the very hairs of your head are numbered. God so intimately knows everything about you, he knows how many hairs are on your head. Sorry, Wardell, but he knows how many hairs are not on your head, right? But the reality is God is intimately acquainted. He's that detailed with us. You are not some glob of flesh that appeared on the earth and God doesn't care. God knows you intimately. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us he knows you by name. That's amazing. The other thing I want you to understand is God created us not because he was lonely, not because he needed a pal. God created us on purpose for fellowship and with a reason to live. The Bible tells us that God's perfect, and when he created mankind, he said it's very good. Everything else he said was good, but when he created me and you, he said it was very good. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us we're created in his image. We have power, and we have will, and we have leadership built within us. God created us to rule and to reign. So there's a purpose in each one of our lives, and the truth is that if we'll draw close to him, and, and begin to walk with him, he's going to unveil in your life the things that he wants you to do. And today, I'm ending this series, and we're talking about how we are called to serve. And I, I want you to know, I'm going to give you a little theological background. In the Bible, in the New Testament, there are seven different words in Greek that are referenced in the New Testament for the word serve. But each one of those words in Greek is different. But in our translation in English, it just says serve. Well, we have in mind what serve means. But the Greek writers, when Jesus was speaking, Paul was speaking, and others, when they would use the word serve, it was one of those sub-definitions. It was very specific. There's seven of those. Today, I'm only going to talk about three. Somebody say amen. <laughs> but, but we're going to cover these three. And here's the thing. You know, when you and I read the Bible, we need to understand it is a translated book. It wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek or Hebrew. And it's important for us because the guys that translated it over the years did the best they could with the limited amount of of the ability to translate that they did. But sometimes we can miss very important things. And today I'm going to specifically dig down and show you about when Jesus says serve, what that means. Now here's the truth. 
And I think the people in first service would agree. If you'll really listen to this today and allow God to touch your heart and speak to you, it's going to change you. I know it's impacting me because we begin to understand what the heart of God is for us, that we were created for more. Okay? So let's jump into this. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Obviously, I'm not reading them all here, but let me give you some background. At the Passover feast, the night before Jesus was betrayed, he took all the disciples to an upper room, and they met in that upper room, and we actually reenacted that here uh, last year at our Easter service. a very powerful moment in history, And, and this is what it says. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world. Jesus knew that this very night he was going to be betrayed, and Friday he was going to be crucified. Okay? He knew that. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Now, I want to break this down for you. It says Jesus loved the ones that were, having known them, he loved them, but now he showed them how much he loved them. And I want you to hear this today. You know, you can love somebody, but if you don't show them that you love them, it really doesn't do much. It doesn't, it doesn't do much. And here's the thing you need to understand here. What Jesus is saying here is that you don't need to just do lip service. You need to show people. So watch this. He says this. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. And this is what I skipped here. Now, back in this period of time, during this historical period, the Bible says they would go and eat, and if you'll read, sometimes it'll say they reclined at the table. Think, what does that mean, they reclined at the table? Well, a lot of these meals where they would sit down and eat, there was a table, but the table was only three inches off the ground. It was, it was actually a table, but it was basically on the ground. So when they would come and eat these feasts, they would actually lay down, have a pillow or something, and they would lay sideways. Now, that's kind of an interesting way to eat a meal. But the other thing that's very interesting about that is everybody was going to be laying next to somebody's feet. Okay? Now, in this period of time, they're walking around in sandals or barefoot or whatever most of the day. Guess what their feet smelled like? Yeah, somebody said, "Woo!" I would say stanky. Okay, I mean, their feet would smell very badly. And so now they were going to go have this very formal meal and their feet were going to stink and they're going to be laying next to each other. So here's what would happen. There would actually be a servant in the house. And when you walked in to have this meal, this servant would meet you at the door, take off your sandals and would wash your feet so that your feet would be clean for the meal. Make sense? I think it's a great plan. Well, during the meal, it came time to to serve, and Jesus begins to talk to them, and he gets up, takes off his outer robe, wraps a towel around his waist, and begins to go around the table and wash his disciples' feet. Now, for you and I, that's a little difficult to understand, but now that you understand the context, Jesus was taking the form of the servant that did that, and just so you know. The servant that got that job was the lowest servant in the house. So watch this. Jesus now says this. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
Listen to this. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Circle the word blessed, and I'm going to come back at the very end and define for you in Greek what the exact interpretation of that word is. So I want to talk to you today about what Jesus modeled as servanthood. Now understand this. You need to understand this. Jesus is the co-creator of the universe. Jesus is the king of everything. Born in a manger, sent down here, and he spent his life serving people. But in this moment, he shows them the absolute links that we are to go as servants. He said, if I'm willing to do this, you need to do it also. So I want to define for you some of these words serve and what they actually mean. Look at your notes, and we're going to define these three areas today. Who is a servant? The first servant we're going to talk about is the word doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S. And here's what it means. It means a bond servant. Now, here's some cool Bible history for you. Back in the Hebrew times, they had a rule. If you were a Hebrew and you owed a debt to someone and you could not pay that debt, you could become a bond servant to them. You would basically go to work for that person as a slave, as a servant, until you paid off your debt. But here's what was interesting about the Hebrew culture. You could work no more than seven years in that role. So in the seven years that you serve, you might pay it off beforehand, but if not, it would never go past seven years. So that debt would be paid in seven years. But here's what's interesting about a doulos servant. This person would serve in this capacity for seven years, but then at the end of that time when they are to be released, the doulos servant would go to his master or masters and say to them, I love you so much. And I'm so thankful to be in your household as your servant that I'm going to give the rest of my life to be your bond servant. That person would be taken to the doorpost of the house and they would actually tack a nail through their ear that would make a hole and would show that they are a bond servant. They didn't do it because they were forced to. They they did it sacrificially and they submitted to that process. That's an amazing Word, and that is the word that Jesus is using in Mark 9 35. Notice this sitting down after he had washed their feet, Jesus said this Jesus called the 12 and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And here's what that principle is you look in your notes or on the screen. The principle of a doulos bondservant is a lifetime commitment. See, what Jesus is calling us to is not serve every once in a while, serve when it's convenient, serve when you feel like it. What Jesus is saying as a doulo servant, what he is calling me and you to is, in light of what I've done for you, I'm asking you to surrender everything to me. It's a powerful word, isn't it? Very powerful. That's the first one. Let's look at the second one. It's the word diakonos. Diakonos, and that's where we get our English word deacon. It's where the word deacon comes from. Some of you know there are deacons. We have deacons in our church. And here's Matthew 20, 26 through 28, and then I'm going to give you the definition of a deacon in the Greek. 
Jesus said this, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant or your diakonos, your deacon. And whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Greek definition of the word deacon is this. The best example in English is a waiter. It's a waiter. And and many of you have been to a restaurant where there was someone waiting on you, and and their job is to find out what you want and make sure your your tea glass is full. And and if you need anything, they're simply there to serve you and meet your needs. And that is the exact definition in the Bible of what a deacon is. So a deacon in a church is a servant. It's absolutely, that's the role. And here's the principle. The diaconos, the deacon, is focused on the needs of others. And Jesus calls us to be that. This next one is fascinating to me. It's fascinating. And it's the word huperetes. Everybody say huperetes. Bless you. <laughs> Sounds like you're sneezing, doesn't it? The word huperetes. And this is what the, ser- it's the word servant And it's the word huperetes, and this is what it means. It means under rower, R-O-W-E-R, under rower, like row a boat, under rower. Acts 26 verse 16 says this, Jesus is talking to Paul, who's been converted, and this is what he says. Jesus said to Paul, now get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to appoint you as a servant, as a under rower, And as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Now let me explain to you what an under rower is. This is what Jesus, when Jesus is talking to Paul, he says, I'm calling you to be an under rower. How many of you have ever seen the movie Ben-Hur? Okay. You've just aged yourselves. I know who you are. You're the 40 above crowd, right? But, but let me tell you a little bit of, of history, uh, Roman history and some other cultures. But if you ever looked at, and the students will appreciate this, if you ever look at a picture of a galley, a, galley, uh, a uh, Roman galley, it's a ship, and outside that ship are going to be a whole bunch of oars, okay? And they would have uh, a sail that they could use, but they also had tons of people underneath the decks whose job was to row the ship. And there would typically be somebody with a drum or something that would chant out so that they could all row at the same time. And there may be 60, 80, 100, 200 people all rowing at the same time. And that's the word that Jesus uses here to Paul. You're to be an under rower. And here's what's interesting about people that are under rowers. They're behind the scenes. They're not visible to everyone else. They're anonymous. And Jesus says, Paul, I want you to serve as an under rower. I think that's fascinating because Paul would have absolutely understood what Jesus meant here. And it's this, and this is the principle. Magnify Jesus and not me or not us. Jesus is saying here, the focus, you're going to row. And and here's the deal. You're making the ship go, but nobody may see you. And I can tell you as a pastor of a church, 
You know, you guys come in here on Sunday and you look up and you see me and you see the worship team, but the truth is you don't see Brenda and the cleaning crew during the week that are cleaning everything. You don't see all the different teachers in the nursery and the classrooms that are making things happen. The truth is, my job is very narrow. The way the church runs is that people like you are out there making it happen. They are rowing the ship, but nobody sees what they're doing. They're serving as under rowers. It's amazing to me. See, I didn't realize some of these things. But that's exactly the words that Jesus is talking about. And I want you to understand, too, what this means, is that every person's job is important. Every person's job is important. From the greeter in the lobby, to the teacher, to me, to the worship team, to those running sound, every job is important, and it matters. Why? Because it's propelling the ship where it's supposed to go. Another principle here that I think is very obvious is that if everybody does a little bit, no one or two people have to do a lot. If everybody rows like they're supposed to, then it's pretty easy. But if somebody gets out of sync, you end up going in circles. Anybody ever been there? And and it's so important for us as servants to be in unity with each other. Why? Because when you're in unity, here's what's cool about it. When you're in unity, nobody can really tell. Everything's just moving. But when you're in disunity, everybody knows it. And Jesus is calling Paul and me and you to be under rowers. Our job is not to magnify ourselves ever. Our job is to lift him up. So if you take all these three, if you take these three definitions together, this is what a a Christian, a Christ follower, a believer, this is what your life should look like. Watch this. A Christ follower is called to a lifetime commitment to serve people's needs in such a way that magnifies Jesus and not ourselves. I'll say that again. It is a lifetime commitment to serve people's needs in such a way that magnifies Jesus and not ourselves. See, what can happen for many of us if we're not careful is we want people to look at us. We, we want to be visible. And, and what that shows you when those kind of things are going on, it shows you the brokenness in the person but it also shows you the shallowness of our relationship with Christ. See, if you want all the attention, then you're probably not pointing it to who it needs to go to. And and I don't know about you, but I've been saved from a whole lot. And my job is to shine, but to always be pointing people to Jesus. Just like these lights up here, it's, the light itself is not important. What the light does is what's important. And the light illuminates the stage so you can see. But the light doesn't sit up there and go, no, I'm shining. It just does its job, right? That was free, by the way. I'm sorry. That's, that was awesome, wasn't it? That's kind of cool. Thank you. Yeah, whatever. Stop it, Dennis. Um, But here's the deal. The light's job is just to illuminate. It has a job to do, right? And it's the same way in the church. We all have a job to do, and we're all supposed to do that job, whatever it is. I want to talk to you briefly and really briefly about three things about the heart of a servant. Now that you know what Jesus is calling us to, let's talk about the heart of a servant. Here's number one. A servant puts service over status. A servant 
put service over status. Let me give you an example. The best kind of waiter or waitress is one that you don't even know is there. Have you ever been to a restaurant when, when you, your tea's just always full? That, that they come in and they're moving and they're serving, and it's almost like they're ahead of you. It's almost like they know what's going on. They're, they're ahead of the game a little bit. There's a couple of restaurants in town. I love it. I walk in, I sit down, and my half tea, half lemonade just show up. It's a miracle. Because I walk in and they know, oh, Pastor Chris is here. He's going to have his Arnold Palmer. He wants his half tea, half lemonade. I sit down and there it is. How's that make me feel? Good. That's right. Makes me feel special. Makes me feel valued. And, and I love watching people serve where they're, they're doing their thing and you don't even realize they're there. They're, they're just, they're, they're doing And in that role, they're not looking for status. They take service over status. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? Look at Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of other people. I'm going to read that again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value other people above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. The best leaders I know, the best senior leaders I know, are servants. The best senior leaders that I know are people that understand the position of authority that they carry is not for themselves. It's to meet the needs of their clients and the people on their teams. They live to serve them, not the other way around. And it's very obvious when you walk into an organization which one they are. It's all about them or it's all about everyone else. There's a book called Good to Great, and I would encourage you to read it, but it talks about different levels of leadership. And there's a level four leader and a level five, and a level five leader is as high as leadership as you can go. Very few people reach level five leadership. There's quite a few people reach level four, but very few reach level five. And level five leaders are the ones that are servant leaders. They're the ones that get service. And I would encourage you in your own life, to determine which one you are. Is it all about power for you or is it all about power for the organization? And that's what God's calling us to. A servant puts service over status. Let's look at number two. A servant puts obedience over comfort. How do I break that down? How many of you have been driving down the road and you look on the side of the road and there's a, somebody changing a tire that doesn't have any business changing the tire. Or they're just standing there looking at it like a calf at a new gate. And in that moment, you realize they need help, and I'm qualified, and there's a decision that you've got to make. Because here's the deal. You're going somewhere, they need help, and you drive by them, and it's every inch you drive by, you go, I should go back, I should go back, I should go back, I should go back. Maybe somebody else will go back. You know, I mean, you're, you're thinking that. Come on, let's be honest. I've done it too. Some, sometimes we'll turn around and go back. 
Sometimes we won't, but here's the thing I want you to hear today. Serving people is rarely convenient. People don't have crisis when it's convenient. Emergencies happen. Miles just got up. I'm sure he just got a text that said somebody's had an accident and he's going to take care of them. Emergencies happen at inconvenient times. And the reality is in life, our job is to recognize that sometimes it's going to be inconvenient for us to serve people. But I want you to understand that we have to take obedience over comfort. In Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37, and I'm going to summarize this story. Jesus is telling a story to a group of religious leaders, and he talks about a man that uh, falls prey to some robbers and is beat up and is laying beside the road, just like my example of somebody with a messed up tire. And a priest goes along and sees the guy and doesn't want to cross the road to go to the other side. And a couple other people pass by, but then Jesus uses the example of a Samaritan. Now understand, in their culture, a Samaritan was an outcast. And Jesus says the Samaritan goes over and takes care of the man and binds his wounds, takes him to an inn, pays for the man to be healed. As a matter of fact, he goes even further and says, I've got to leave, but I'm going to leave you extra money to take care of this guy, and if more is needed, I'll pay you the rest later. And Jesus said, in this situation, who is the neighbor to the man? And the religious leader said, the one who helped him. Because, see, sometimes, folks, obedience is needed over our own comfort. And here's the final one. A servant puts sacrifice over success. A servant puts sacrifice over success. In John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, is one of the coolest stories in the New Testament. Jesus has just gotten the news that his cousin John has been beheaded. Jesus Jesus is emotionally devastated from that. The Bible tells us that he and his disciples get into a boat. Crowds were following Jesus like crazy, and he just needed to get away. Try to, you know, get, get this right in his heart. He was grieving. And the Bible tells us that they went to the other side of the, of the lake, and as they began to pull the boat up to shore, there was these huge crowds of people. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us there was 5,000 men. It doesn't include the women and children. So theologians tell us there could be upwards of 10, 12, 15,000 people, a massive crowd. So Jesus, which is a separate sermon, dealing with his own emotion and pain, sets that aside and begins to walk up to the side of the mountain to address the people. And as he gets ready to do that, one of the disciples comes up to him and says, Jesus, we've been here. They've been there throughout the day. He said, everybody's getting hungry. You need to send all these people away so they can go get something to eat. Jesus looks at the disciple and says, you feed them. <laughs> he made the response that most of us would have. What? <laughs> this is what he said. He goes, Lord, if we gathered all the money we had, we couldn't buy enough food to give everybody one little bite. We don't have enough. But Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says, hey, I've got a little boy here, and he's got five loaves and a couple little fish. Well, most of you know the story. Jesus took that happy meal and blessed it, 
and distributed it to the crowd. As a matter of fact, this is what it says. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far, look at this, this is the faith of the disciple, but how far is this going to go among so many? (laughs) This isn't going to do anything. This is this kid's meal. How's it going to feed 15,000 people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Jesus then took the loaves and he gave thanks and he distributed it to those who were seated. Look at this, as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is coming to the world. And we're talking about servanthood. So imagine, this is in my mind, this is what happened, so give me some poetic license for a minute. Jesus has walked up to the side of the hill, let's say there's 15,000 people, and the disciples are going, they got to eat something. Well, this little boy had followed him up there on the hill, and he's standing over there with the lunch that his mom had made him, and he overhears their conversation. He had to, because we see that. He walks up to Andrew. I can see him pulling on Andrew's cloak. You can have my lunch. And I have to believe this. That Andrew looked at Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, this little boy has given us his lunch. And in my mind's eye, I can see Jesus shifting his focus from Andrew to that little boy. And for a moment, there's not 15,000 people, there's two. There's Jesus and that little boy who says, it's not much, but you can have it. See, there was faith in that little boy who gave everything he had. And I can just imagine Jesus smiling at him. And in that moment, he stands up and he blesses that food and he takes that little boy's lunch and he feeds 15,000 people. I told you at the beginning of the message that I wanted to explain to you why Jesus said, I've set you an example at the Last Supper. He said, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Remember I told you to circle that word? Here's what the Greek translation of that word blessed is. You will be happy and fulfilled. You will be happy and fulfilled. If you'll take your happy meal and give it to Jesus, you get the blessing. Happy and fulfilled. Can you imagine... What happened when that little boy went home? Can you imagine what it was like when he walked in to see his mom? Mom, you are not going to believe what happened. Make me a sandwich. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Who got the blessing? 
See, the only one person that day got to participate in that miracle. That little boy. And Jesus calls me and you to serve like that. And I want to tell you something, folks. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have. If a little boy's Happy Meal can feed 15,000 people, God can use you. This is as true as it gets. And I want you to know something. When Jesus said, I'm calling you to serve, if we'll begin to serve him like that little boy did, imagine in this room, if every one of us said, Lord, I don't have much, but whatever I've got, you can use it. What would happen? One day a year as a church, we come together to serve our community as, a, as a, the backpack event where most of you come out and serve. Let me ask you a question. Who gets the bigger blessing, the ones that get or us who give? We do. They walk out of here with a backpack, a pair of shoes, a haircut. But you know what? You get to wash feet and put shoes on people. And I want you to understand the fulfillment of what Jesus is saying here. When you serve like that, you are happy and fulfilled. And he's calling us to be like that every day. And here's the thing, folks. This year, as a church, what God is moving us into is the most exciting year, and I'm not just saying that. God is putting some amazing things together right now. But I want you to understand something. He's calling us individually, each one of us, to give him what we have. And if we'll do that, he'll do something amazing with it. Watch this. I'm going to read this last scripture. In Matthew 25, verses 37 through 40, Jesus said these words. There's going to come a day when we're all going to be standing in heaven as believers. And the righteous are going to say to Jesus, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe, clothe you When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And notice this term here. The king will reply. The king will reply. Truly, I say to you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. See, whenever we wash somebody's feet, we're doing it to Jesus. Whenever we change that tire on the side of the road for that little lady, we're doing it for Jesus. Brandon, whenever you help somebody that's hard to help, you're doing it for Jesus. Teacher, whenever you're in that classroom with that hard student that drives you crazy, you're doing it for Jesus. And if Jesus was willing to wash our stinky feet, and maybe we need to do it for other people. And here's what I believe. That if as a church, which is made up of just individuals, if you'll make that commitment to serve like Jesus did, it's going to change you because you're going to be blessed. It's going to change your family. It's going to change the workplace. And ultimately, it's going to change our community.
So you have a decision to make. Here's the deal. I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands today. That doesn't mean anything to me today. What I'm asking you for is to really search your heart today and ask yourself this question. Am I willing to say yes? I had not thought about it at all. But in first service, the Lord reminded me as I was closing, the Lord reminded me that seven and a half years ago, I received a phone call from you guys. And scared to death, I said yes. And my family said yes. We haven't done everything perfect, but God's done some pretty cool things. I now have a daughter that's in the ministry. My son's a firefighter and helping save people's lives. My youngest daughter, I mean, God has blessed our family so much. But it happened because I said yes. And you need to understand something, folks. God wants you to say yes before he even knows what, you even know what he wants you to do. You're just supposed to say yes. So here's the challenge today. Are you willing to say yes to him? Are you willing to say, here I am, Lord, whatever, whatever you want to do, I'm willing to say yes. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just ask you today in the name of Jesus that you would move in this room and help us to understand that you love each one of us individually. And Father, you've got this amazing plan for our lives. but you're asking us to say yes. Yes is scary because that means we're giving up control. We're we're giving control up and, and we're giving control to you. Lord, we're serving people that are hard to love and people may walk on us and treat us poorly what they did to you too. Jesus, you told us that greater love, there's no greater love than if we lay down our life for our friends. And so Lord, because of what you've done for us, you're asking us to do the same. You said, now that I've showed you how to do this, serve people this way. So, Father, today in the holiness of this moment, I'm asking everybody here to search your heart. I'm asking you to make a decision today to serve him, the one who died for you and rose again, to give him everything, to say yes to him. sing that last. Guys, listen to this.
my hands, Lord, and my feet. Touch my heart, Lord, speak to me. like a little boy that got up one day was just on his way to do what he was doing and he had an encounter with Jesus and he said yes and that's what it looks like for you let's all stand as you leave this place today I want you to understand something you're walking out of these doors to a world that needs you hopeless, people that are hurting, that are lost, and Jesus is calling us to be the light of the world, he's calling us to be his hands and his feet, so what I'm asking you, because he's asking you, is just to make yourself available, amen, fathers, we leave today, I pray, Father, you would open our eyes and help us to see, help us to make ourselves available, Lord, to our community, to our family, to our church and help us to say yes today Lord, to you. And I pro- Father I pray that as we do that as right now some of us are saying yes as we're doing that Lord you would change our lives so that we could be blessed because we're serving like you called us to and I thank you for that in Jesus name Amen as you leave today 